Welcome to episode 16 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor, joined with Matt, Andrew, and Matt. And today we're going to talk about UConn's second straight loss. They fell yesterday to Providence on the road, 73-61. to It's really just a tough game to watch overall. It wasn't, wasn't a lot going UConn's way, a lot going the Friars' way. The crowd was really into it. And I think we'll just start breaking it down. Anyone want to start us off here? How about Matt? You want to start us off? Yeah, I'll go with it. I was waiting for Andrew. I honestly expected him to go first, but that was one of the ugliest games I feel like we've seen as UConn fans in the past few years here. Um, you know, obviously we've had ugly games in March. Uh, the tournament has not gone our way. Uh, those games are hard to watch, especially, especially when you're losing at 12 seeds. But I mean, this one, for some reason, just hit me a little bit harder. You know, away at Providence, you know, we do not like those guys. And you want to win uh, those games every time. I mean, Providence, Xavier, two back-to-back big games that we had here that we just crumbled. And it, it it's very similar to what we have seen the past few years. Um, a team that came in looking unprepared, a team that came in not ready for the big game, uh, a team that was outplayed, a team that was outsmarted, a team that was outcoached. And, uh, you know, you just got to wonder to yourself when stuff like this is going to turn around. You know, obviously we had some uh, higher points. Klingon played really well, double-double. Um, but, you know, just as, as a whole, the team was not there. They looked clocked out. They looked like they wanted to be elsewhere. And I am just wondering where that's coming from, who's implementing this mindset, and uh, how are we going to change that? Well, you know, with this game, we this could be a two-and-a-half-hour episode listing every reason why we lost last night. Nobody wants to listen to that. So it's – and the short version is that we didn't show up. And, you know, that's, that's something you can't do in a game like that. I mean, the Providence fans are really against us. They can't stand us, which is – I think goes both ways. But it's just their fans were really – riled up just like ours will on Saturday and when they come back to visit at Gamble you know if they don't cancel it like last year but it really came down to Providence looked like they wanted it more than us because we were we were just getting rid of the ball for no reason and Providence was drawing up these nice drawn plays getting the ball to Hopkins getting good shots and we just we just didn't look like we had a game plan we just looked out there like we were playing an 0-14 team, and we were just going to get this win really easily. And that's not going to come like that against Providence. Um, I mean, obviously, you do have to point out that I think for at least 10 minutes, there was a whistle on nearly every single possession, which is outrageous. I mean, you've got to – that's got to be fixed. There's a bunch of things within this game that have to be fixed, but the main thing is that UConn's got to want it more. Like Matt said, they got outcoached, outplayed, outhearted, even though that's not a word. It's just everything. Providence had everything in that game. And, you know, we're going to have to deal with it, but not the end of the world. And we're going to come back stronger against Creighton on Saturday. Yeah, and this just seems like the second straight game where the wheels have really fallen off the bus in the second half for this Huskies team, which is out of character for them because this is a team that for the first 14 games was built on having a deep rotation and then playing hard in the second half and outlasting a team 
And it really seems like fatigue is setting in in the second half. Mistakes are being made at the end. They're giving up long rebounds at the end of games. So um, it's just been out of character for them, not to mention the lack of shooting these last couple games, which is, I'll be honest, the shooting at the beginning of the season, that wasn't sustainable. It wasn't going to stay this way. And I'll tell you another thing. It's not going to stay this bad. You know, that's going to level out. But there's just been a couple uncharacteristic games for UConn over these last two. Yeah, one thing I'm terrified of is following a trend that we've set, which is, you know, not showing up in the big games. And, you know, just two losses like this, it's just hard to convince yourself. I mean, obviously, you don't want to panic. You don't want to immediately, you know, after two losses and big away games, just, you know, call it over and season's over because it's not. It's just um, I want to see how this team will react to these losses on the road in tough environments compared to how previous teams uh, reacted to similar losses. Um, you know, it's a whole different year. We're still really early in Big East play, so there's a lot of time left to figure it out. So I guess we'll see moving forward how, you know, this group of guys can handle the resiliency. Yeah, today is January 5th. Yesterday, January 4th, UConn lost to Providence. But I think by January 4th, UConn has played their hardest two road games of the season in Big East play at Xavier and at Providence. I mean, just look at the rest of the – I'll just break them down real quick, the rest of the road games. At Villanova, that'll probably be a tough one. That's probably the next toughest one. That's in March, right before the Big East tournament. Got at DePaul. We struggled there a little bit, but it's at DePaul. I don't think they'll have too too many issues. At Seton Hall, it's probably going to be another decent environment, but there's going to be a fair amount of UConn fans there. It's get pretty close, and Seton Hall's not that great this year so far, so I don't think they'll have too much trouble there. And then at Georgetown, it's going to be 50% full, and out of that 50%, 75 are going to be UConn fans probably. And same thing at the Garden for St. John's. It's going to be a lot of UConn, probably more than the Johnnies. And then at Marquette next week, it's another – it's a wild card, but Marquette, you don't know what you're going to get from them. They're a solid team. Will the fans show up? We'll see. But we definitely, I think, got our two hardest road games out of the way pretty early, which is huge. And another thing, you don't have to play on the road after the regular season. There's all neutral site games, the Big East tournament and then the uh, NCAA tournament. Obviously, some teams have advantages in, like, MSG. We would have an advantage, I would hope, over some teams like Creighton or – DePaul or any of those teams that are further out West and even in NCAA tournament, hoping we keep like a top seed, we play in Albany and then play at MSG again. So it's really just, it's really just, we got the tough games out of the way, the toughest games. And I, I think that'll help the team grow. And it's good to lose games, especially early in the season, as you can build off of them. Like we mentioned, it's, there's things to learn from. We're not perfect. We didn't think it would be perfect. So you can easily build off of these losses. Yeah, one thing I just want to point out is how many um, Big East games could we lose and still win the regular season championship? Because that's our goal. We want to go into March with the regular season championship, put ourselves in a good spot for the Big East tournament, move ourselves into a good spot for the NCAA. And realistically, how many games could they lose? Four or five? So they're in somewhat of a hole. And like you said, the two hardest games are out of the way. But they really – after – the first non-conference games, I really stop looking at the overall schedule and I look at the in-conference schedule. And right now it's three and two and they can only afford a couple more losses. So I just wanted to point that out. Well, you know, we've lost two on the road as 
everybody said, but now it's really time to address what is this team's so-called problem. You know, if we if we handle Creighton well at home, we know exactly what the problem is. It's the road. But if we lose to Creighton at home with a sellout gamble, then there's definitely there's definitely a problem with the team more so than something like the crowd. But what I'd love to see more in these next couple of games, obviously I'd love to see them win, but I'm starting to question uh, the fact that Dan Hurley knows how to make an in-game like switch. Like once we're, it seems like this year, once we're up, we're up. And once we're down, we're done. Like that's, that's kind of how I've seen it this year with not the rotations, but like the way he rolls the game plan. Like, these last two games, Xavier and Providence on the road, as soon as those fans get into this game and we go down, it seems like we're done We're done at the start. You know, it's just – it's really something that I want to see a change, and it's a big question mark for March. You know, I mean, I know I'm looking way ahead here, and we've got a lot of other games to win, but it's a big question mark here if that's going to be our biggest problem this year. And I'd really hate hate that if it is. One thing I've been thinking a lot to myself over the past few days is what was this team before the season? What were we expected to be like? What were our expectations and, you know, how far did we seem to have exceeded them? Because, you know, maybe this is just who we are. You know, there is a possibility that, you know, we are the team that was heavily overrated due to preseason. We come into Big East and we immediately fall apart. Um we we need to see more from the guys who are, have come in, uh, the transfers, uh, the freshmen. We need to see that they are going to be culture changers. They are going to be game shakers. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna change the overall flow of games because if you keep playing like this, it's unorganized. It's it's there, there's no there's no real team goal there. I, I at times I'm watching and I'm like, what are they playing for? It looks like that they're playing for themselves. So I, I want to see how they move going forward as a team rather than, you know, just, you know, it's the coaching or this. I, I want to see how they gel. One thing I want to say is I feel like this is a mature group. I really like the leadership in this group, the core of leaders, Jackson, Sonogo. Um, you could even throw Hawkins in there. You know, they've been through some stuff together, and I think that they're a good group of guys, and I have faith that they'll turn this around. And, you know, it's a two-game slip. It's not the worst thing in the world, and they're going to need to prove me otherwise that they can't turn things around because right now I have faith in them, but they're going to really need to drop this one to Creighton for me to start feeling like there's an actual problem. Yeah, Matt, you touched upon the expectations. I was going to head there next as well. We were picked fourth in the preseason poll in the Big East with no first-place votes. And we, we are currently third in Kempom or fourth in the net. Maybe I mixed those two up. But we're we're a top-five team in both those metrics. And just because we've lost the last two in a row, fans are overreacting. But you see it all over Twitter, all over all social media. Oh, fire Hurley. He's not a good in-game coach. I mean – it's ridiculous. I mean, I was thinking of a scenario earlier today. Imagine we're 14 and two, but we lost to Alabama and then we lost the following game to UNC, but we followed that up with eight straight wins, including these last two, the fans would be going nuts. They'd say, Oh, we're the best team, 14 and two, eight straight wins. But just because this past two losses were the past two games, 
fans are starting to overreact. I mean, no team's going to go undefeated. We we see it. Purdue lost shortly after us in New Mexico fell, I believe, the night after. There are no undefeated teams. There's been no undefeated champions since, like, the 70s. It's not going to happen. But it's really just – it's all I got on that note, really. Just our expectations were – they weren't too too high. I mean, fourth in the Big East preseason poll. I mean, we're, we obviously have high expectations as fans for our team. But, I mean, no one saw undefeated almost into the new year coming. Top two, no one saw that coming. So maybe they peaked a little early, but I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, I really hope all of UConn Twitter is listening to this because some of the things I read last night were just not – it was just over the top. I mean, hitting the panic button after two losses, that's what a team that doesn't believe in themselves does. I mean, I still believe in this squad wholeheartedly. I would think the three of you do. And I know there are a lot of people that still do. I mean, I read tweets that were all over the place. I mean, that said, fire Hurley. This team's worth nothing. And the ones who are trying to calm all those fans down, you know, Obviously, yes, losing to Providence sucks because they're going to brag about it for the next month or so, even though they could just brag about their NIT uh, appearance titles they've got there at the AMP. As Connor, I'm sure you got to witness. It's absolutely beautiful. But, you know, it's it's not even close to over. This team is very good. But I'm going to go back to what I said last podcast. I still Do I think that last year's team would have gotten back into this game? Yes, I do because people would have showed more heart than they did. I mean, it looked like once they got down by 10, they were just dragging their feet, their heads were low. You know, other than really a couple of people like the captains, everybody was had their head low every time they missed a shot. You know, last year's team, Cole, Martin, Whaley, never would have put their head low. They would have just kept it up and probably gotten back into that game. So that's still my main point on this team is we're missing – somebody with the heart for this team, but somebody's got to find it soon, especially with a big one at home against Creighton on Saturday. Yeah. And one thing that people who don't know ball do is not put things into perspective. You really need to put things into perspective. You know, they lost two games and it's very easy to get emotional. I'm not going to lie. We all got emotional. I'm not saying we all know ball very well, but we all got emotional and, if you just go back and look at the last 20 champions, you'll see peaks and valleys in their season when they peaked and when those valleys were. And you got to realize that it's a long season and that it just matters that they're peaking at the right time. I just want to go back to the panic that Andrew was talking about. And I don't feel like it's necessarily panic, like with the team, with how it's going rather than, it's panic with that all UConn fans who pay attention have read this book before. We've seen this. This is These losses are not new. These are not new situations that we're putting ourselves in. You know, you're coming in as a favorite um, and you're just losing and you're getting beat like terribly. We were running at halftime against Xavier and we were all just kind of like, wow, like that's kind of shocking. It's just, you can't, fall back into that hole that you were in and I feel like a lot of UConn fans are just very frustrated that they're seeing the same trends they're looking at the same issues and they're looking at the same schematic problems that they've been looking at over the past five years I look at it this way there's no 
special incentive or reward for being number two in the AP poll in December or being 14 and 0 to start the year. Like you look, Oh, we're number one in a bracketology in early January. There's no, like, it doesn't matter. All that matters is March. And if you just work to get there, get these, get these losses out now. I'd rather lose a tough one to Providence in on January 4th, than March 11th in the big East championship. Yeah, I mean, as much as getting that all-exciting Big East title ring that Providence fans are so fond of, um, it it really it doesn't matter. Like Connor said, I mean, I'm looking at the Big East standings right now. It goes Providence at five and zero, Xavier four and zero, Marquette four and one, and Creighton at three and one. All above us, who are in fifth place at three and two. I'm telling you right now, that is just not going to stay the same because. College basketball season is long. I think we had 32 games maybe with the three extended in the PKI. So it's really just you're going to lose. Like like Connor said, there's not going to be an undefeated team in college basketball. In my opinion, ever, I don't think any sport will have an undefeated season. It's just so hard to win every single game because once you keep winning, each game gets filled with pressure. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with us, you know, on the road, 14-0, and 0, everybody in the country is after us. There's not one team in the country that doesn't want to beat the UConn Huskies right now. And in our past two games, the two, two teams that really wanted to beat us, beat us good. So it's just, it's really going to come down to this team figuring themselves out and figuring how to handle, figuring out how to handle these tough situations. Because once comes March, there's going to be tough situations all over the place. You're going to be playing teams that you've never seen before in your life. So... It's this is good for us though. Two losses in a row is good because if we are what we say we are, we're gonna bounce back just fine. If there's one thing about elite title winning UConn teams is that they're it's they're they're gonna slip. There's gonna be a moment in the season where you're like, oh my god, and then somehow they just flip it right back around. You look like an idiot, and they're holding up a trophy in in April. And I'm really hoping that's how it is this year. Um, if you remember back in 11, you know, they started off strong and then they just, I don't know what happened in the big East kind of fell apart in 14. They went into March as well as the eight seed and they won the whole thing. Um, you know, UConn teams tend to do this and, you know, if they want to fit the role of a national title winning UConn team, you know, they have to get these out of the way. Yeah. One thing I was going to say, like you just said exactly what I was thinking in 2011, we had to go on a 12 win. 12 win streak in March to win the championship in 2014. It was maybe the most improbable national championship run ever based on the seeding. So um, yeah, it's, it's not time to um, get too upset with this team and um, you know, really overreact. Cause like I said, these things happen, especially with UConn who makes some of the most improbable championship runs of all time. All right, I think I just want to go over some stats from the game, highlight some players, just the numbers overall. UConn led in points by Jordan Hawkins, 15 points. He had five offensive rebounds, six total rebounds. He played not his best, but he's been worse. We've seen worse. He was worse for Xavier, I, I believe. Klingon, like Matt mentioned earlier in the episode, a double-double off the bench, a career-high 21 minutes. So it's time for our, maybe our weekly conspiracy here. Maybe Hurley listens to us. On the podcast, we mentioned we need to see Klingon and Sonogo together. They play together maybe eight or ten minutes in this one. So maybe Dan Hurley is listening. So if you're listening, 
keep it up. I mean, Klingon career high 21 minutes, put together 12, 11, and four against in a tough environment. Alex Caravan also in double figures. He had 11, hit three threes. He struggled on defense. We'll get to that briefly after. And Sonogo, not his best game, 11.7 rebounds. And the rest of the guards I want to touch on real quick, they all really struggled as a whole. Andre Jackson took himself out of the first half, less than four minutes in with two fouls, and Hurley couldn't have put him back in. He said he didn't want to because if Jackson's such an explosive player, odds are he'll pick up a third fairly easily. Tristan Newton, he attacked the rim more. He didn't settle for just threes, but he went three for 11 from the field in total and 0 for 3 from deep. He had six points. He, he he's, he's in a little bit of a rough stretch right now. I think he'll play out of it. We've seen him. He had a triple-double earlier this year. He's a good player. Remember the Oregon game? He was carrying us in that first half. He's a, yeah, I think he's just in a little bit of a tough stretch overall. Uh, Joey Calcaterra, he... I think he may have came down to earth officially after that Georgetown game. He went 0 for 4 from deep. Naheem Moline didn't play too much, but didn't really do that bad. Hassan Diara, he struggled from the stripe, 1 of 4, all late in the game. But he played some solid defense as well. But it's just, we need more consistency out of that guard group, I think. Because Hawkins went for 15, but after that, there was really nothing. And just there's silly mistakes like Jackson picking up the two early fouls. He's a better player than that. We haven't really had too much foul trouble this year as a whole for UConn. So that's tough to see. And I think I'll see if any of you guys want to jump in before I head to the Providence stats. Yeah, I just want to take a second to talk about a good friend of the podcast, Alex Caravan. He um he seems to impress me every week with how little effort he shows in the paint. I I had a I don't have too much to say. Just rather if he were to use his body more and his stature, things would be a lot better for this team because we're relying on two guys, three guys for a majority of our rebounds when we have someone as tall as him avoiding the paint. He's a great player. He's so talented. And it seems like everybody loves him. It seems like he's a total gamer. Everybody on the team respects the hell out of him just for how much effort he puts in. But it's just in certain moments you question whether or not he's really trying to play for the team or himself out there. The ball bounces around the court over and over and over and over, and you're just begging for someone to grab it. And it's just there's a whole part of the court that's just empty. I, it was very late in the game. The ball bounced there for like three seconds. And then I, I don't remember who it was. So a Providence player picked it up, just shot it right in. And that's when I knew it was over. But Caravan is my player of emphasis because I feel like a lot of our success in the preseason was due to him. He shot phenomenal. He was one of our best shooters, overall one of our best players as a freshman. We were so impressed. Everybody was so impressed. And then, you know, Big East play comes around in a more physical game, and all of a sudden he kind of disappears. He has his moments. But just we need to see more from him. We need to see more of a physical Alex Caravan because when we do, we see results. Well, speaking of good friends and the Providence stats, who would have thought that Corey Floyd hit one of the biggest shots of that game, huh? I mean, that three to put Providence up by, I think it was five, and then we got it two to make it 33-30 to 30 at the half. But, man, who would have thought that the one time he touches the basketball in this game against his, we'll call it former team, I mean, good Lord, man. 
And then he did absolutely nothing else before and after. And that was a huge shot. That was really a massive momentum swing, a great way for them to end the half. And man, that guy is living rent-free in this podcast head. He took one shot in 11 minutes. That was it. Yeah, I saw people on Twitter arguing. I think it was due to the frustration of the whole game as a as a whole. They're saying, oh, he wasn't a Husky. He never suited up. But he was on the team last year. I mean, there's no arguing that. He was a UConn Husky last year, even if he didn't play and redshirted. And I think that'll bring us into the Providence stats. And I'm going to start off with the best player on the court by far in Bryce Hopkins. The Kentucky transfer went for 27 points. And he drew 10 fouls, which is really impressive. Maybe some were questionable calls, but still drawing 10 fouls is a – he's kind of undersized for what he does. He's six 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 seven, but he's a post player pretty much. And I was at the press conference after the game, and Hurley said he may be the best player that UConn has played against individually this year, maybe outside of Brandon Miller with Alabama. So that's high praise for him, and he's a great player overall seeing him in person. And um, maybe it's the hot take. I mean, maybe I'm just maybe sucking up to him, but he's my pick for Big East Player of the Year right now. Five games in, it'll. He's. I mean, they're undefeated. He's averaging, I believe, twenty and twelve in Big East play. I mean, he's a great player. I hopefully he'll be gone next year. We obviously have to play him once, maybe twice, maybe even three times in the NCAA. But he's a great player overall. And I just want to one more thing about Hopkins. And I see Matt, you want to jump in there. Caravan was on him most of the game. Obviously, he struggled defensively to contain him. I think if Andre Jackson does not take himself out of that first half, I think fairly quickly, maybe eight, ten minutes into the game, Jackson switches on to Hopkins, and that could have been a massive difference in the in the final outcome. If you guys are curious to you know watch some Bryce Hopkins highlights, I would recommend going to the next Providence team practice and catch the portion where he's shooting free throws. Um, He had half of his points at the line, half of them. He had 13 of his 27, which isn't exactly half, but for the sake of words, we're going to go with half. He um He's an overwhelming player. He's huge. He plays a lot bigger than he is, and he made our guys look little. But, I, I mean, if you take away his free throws, yeah, what, 14 points and six rebounds – and five rebounds, which – no, it's impressive, but you're not talking about NBA player impressive. He, he's a great player, but again, a lot of our problems came within ourselves. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Bryce Hopkins is the best player we, we played when we allowed him to score to, to score all of these points right at the line. Free, free throws, free shots. That's what we let him have. And I, I feel like if we had better matchups, we, we matched up better on him, things would have looked a lot different. He really is a guy with a pro frame, you know, a guy who I could really see getting drafted, but we have those guys too. And Connor, you mentioned it. Um, Andre Jackson getting in foul trouble. That was extremely hurtful, extremely, because Alex Caravan probably has the second best frame as it pertains to quickness in the feet and overall size to guard him. And that was just a straight up mismatch. So yeah, I think Connor, you hit the nail on the head there with that one. I mean, back to all the Providence stats, you know, you look at him here, we, back to the three-pointers, five of 22, 22.7%. That just cannot happen. I mean, 
I, it wasn't 37 like the game against Xavier, but 22% from three with a team that has a lot of really good three-point shooters, is I mean, it can't happen. But, I mean, you look at Providence's side, 44%, 8 of 18 from three. But then to the free throws, they went 83% from the line, 29 of 35. I mean, if half of those fouls aren't committed and half of those points aren't gotten, I mean, this is a completely different game. So, you know, you've got to know. I Here you've got to know your opponent. I mean, like Matt said, Hopkins is just a good free throw shooter. He's not going to miss. Uh, Noah Locke wasn't missing either. Ed Croswell, same thing. But, I mean, you've got to know your opponent. You can't foul people who know how to shoot the ball. It's just it comes down to that, really. Yeah, Providence obviously they got to the line a lot, but like you mentioned, they hit a lot of their free throws, which is kind of hard to do, I guess. Like Ed Croswell, the big man, went 9 to 10 from the stripe, which taking 10 free throws compared to Sonogo, zero. Or excuse me, he took two. I mean, that's something that's interesting to me. That's just an interesting stat. And also, I have the list of fouls drawn here. I mentioned Hopkins had 10, Croswell had seven. Devin Carter was a really a gritty guy, kind of like a Jackson with a better jumper, but less. Def- uh, he's kind of like a mini Jackson, I think. He drew six fouls. And another interesting thing to note uh, Jared Bynum, Providence's point guard, he was all Big East first team. He left the game in the first half with an injury and did not return. So maybe to add some salt in the wound, UConn double-digit loss on the road and the team opponent was missing their starting point guard and one of their senior leaders. But Alan Breed stepped up, and like we mentioned, Corey Floyd played 12 minutes, which I don't have his average in front of me, but I don't think he's averaging close to 12 minutes usually. And just overall, Noah Locke, like Andrew mentioned, hit – clutch shot he hit the dagger it was off another providence offensive rebound i believe cliff moore kicked it out to him wide open three push push it to 12 with under four to go really the dagger providence i mean ed cooley's a phenomenal coach i mean i don't think there's 10 coaches better than him in college basketball he knows his stuff he's very very wise he's been in the game for a while and they're five and oh in biggie's play for a reason they haven't lost since november they lost at TCU. They lost a couple of games at Mohegan Sun as well, but they're undefeated at the AMP. They're just – they're a solid team. They're they're a tournament team. There's not, not a bad loss at all. Yeah, and one thing I just want to say is I know those were two of our toughest Big East games, but we were out physical for two straight games, which is – you could say a lot of things about the Dan Hurley era, but that's not very characteristic for UConn, and they got to figure that one out because the free throw disparity has been mind-boggling these last two games. I also got one more number here from the Providence game. Then I think we'll move on to previewing Creighton a little bit. UConn made five more shots than Providence and lost by double digits. I think that's, we'll leave it at that. That's all you need to know. And then we'll move on to Creighton. But before that, obviously the Huskies, they're struggling a little bit, two straight losses. They need your support. What better else than to come out to Gamble Pavilion on Saturday? See the Huskies. I mean, we've never beat Creighton. I mentioned that last time. It'd be the first time. You could witness it the first time they ever beat Creighton since they joined the Big East, their own five. If you use SeatGeek to get your tickets, use code HBTH at checkout, save $20 off your order. The tickets, they're up there for Creighton. They were up there for a while. I think they may have dropped a little bit, but Creighton, obviously preseason first in the Big East, preseason poll, their top 10 team to start the year preseason, which just goes to show preseason rankings don't really matter because they're they're hot right now but they struggled, lost like six in a row. But 
back to the point, use Seeky code HPTH at checkout. It helps us out. And go Huskies. And we'll move on to the Creighton game here. Creighton, like I mentioned, they are they are picked first in the preseason poll, but they're struggling a little bit. But they they picked it up. They are let me pull up their record here. They're nine and six, and they come in. They just beat Seton Hall at home, and they also beat DePaul on Christmas Day and Butler. So those are three, three of the bottom teams in the conference outside of Georgetown. So it'll be interesting to see how they play against a, I I call us a higher team, top in the country, close to it, UConn. They lost against Marquette. They lost against Arizona State, BYU, Nebraska, which is not a great loss. Texas, they're going through some stuff. There's an announcement today with Chris Beard being fired. So they're that that was in the past though. And they lost against Arizona and they have a decent win against Arkansas and Texas Tech. So they're really a wild card and they're really just five deep. They have Kalkbrenner in the middle. We're gonna talk about him. I know Andrew, you want you had a little thing you wanted to say about Kalkbrenner. They have Arthur Kaluma, who's a solid, solid prospect. He's a kind of like a six seven, six eight scorer. They have Trey Alexander, Ryan Nembard, a solid young backcourt, and then Baylor Shireman, the South Dakota State transfer, who's a great rebounder, great passer, really. Uh, just a seasoned I, – I keep on using this comparison. He's like an Andre Jackson for Creighton. So any of you guys have any thoughts about Creighton game? Yeah, I think um we should really just use this game to cool some nerves. Come out, win the game, move on. It's a pretty big game against a pretty good team. Creighton, uh, you know, they started off really hot on a bit of a slump, but, you know, they'll be in March. They always find a way to make it there. And I feel like that they need to come out and they need to put a beating on Creighton just to get morale up. Um, I think we're going to win. I think we should win. But you, you really need to make a statement and you need to prove to yourself that you can beat these teams. You need to prove to yourself that you're worth being out there with these guys and that you can compete and that you guys can make a deep run. I feel like it's a it's a great time to have a game like this. It's a noon game against a good team. If you come out, you win. I feel like all the old stuff goes away and you kind of start clean going forward. Yeah, uh, my point, like Connor mentioned, is to start the game with Klingon starting at the center position and not to no-go. But not because Sonogo is a bad player. He's a great player. But I just want to see how Klingon does starting off the game because I honestly think he's earned it. He's played very well for a freshman who had a lot of question marks around his name coming into this. And I just think that against a guy like Kalkbrenner, who's a huge player and probably Creighton's best player, I just think that, you know, you got to take chances sometimes. I mean, we've lost two in a row. Something's got to change. and Maybe this Creighton team is going to not expect a guy like Sonogo to come off the bench. I mean, teams weren't expecting Jackson to come off the bench back when he was hurt. So that's my main point here is that I think that we should start clinging who, and see how he matches up against Kalkbrenner. If he doesn't have it, Sonogo goes in. Oh, well. But if he does have it, then that's even better for us because it proves something and maybe this lineup will be shaken a bit. But I, I think that we should roll with Klingon in the starting lineup on Saturday. Yeah, I don't like to use the term must win, so I'm going to use the term please win. Uh, this game is a please win. Please win this game and show us that 
you can respond against a middle-of-the-pack team who's dangerous, but this is the perfect game to respond to because they're not too good where if they, you know, they could really get hot and beat us, but they're not very bad. So it'll be a good win. It'll be good for morale. It's a good team. So please win this game, UConn Huskies. Yeah, back to Andrew's point about Klingon. It's not knock on Sonogo at all if he starts on the bench. I think it would really light a fire on the team, like Hurley sending a message like, oh, I don't care your Big East preseason player of the year. There's a guy playing arguably better than you. He's going to start. And also the seven-footer, Kalk Brenner, he kind of feasted last game against Sonogo. I don't remember if Sonogo or Whaley guarded him primarily, but he had 22-10 and 10 when in that tough loss at Creighton last March. So it'll be interesting to see. Will Klingon start? No. I mean, wishful thinking. And maybe Hurley will surprise us. Like I said, he listens to the pod. So maybe he'll surprise us. But it's just an interesting thought to have. Um, Sonogo coming off the bench seems like a big stretch. I don't think there's a world. Sonogo comes off the bench, but I do see a world where Klingon starts. And that's just by moving Sonogo straight to the four spot, put Caravan on the bench, and then with the original three, uh, Newton, Hawkins, and Jackson. Run Jackson at the three. Um, having Sonogo at the four would be the most overbearing thing, I feel like, on any team. If you have to go up on Sonogo and Klingon to start the game, you're going to start terrible. You are not going to be able to put points on the board. And isn't that the point? Isn't the point for the bench to come in and, you know, let a spark under you, give the guys a break? Um, having Sonogo at the four will not only, you know, help the team, I feel like it'll help him. You know, if he were to go into the NBA draft as a six, nine power forward rather than a six, nine center, I feel like that would raise his draft stock ridiculously. If you could be a stretch four in the NBA at six, nine and be that and have that big of a frame, that's ridiculous. Teams love that teams do not like six, nine centers. Um, I cannot remember the last time a center of that size, that stature, that ability went high. Um, I love Sonogo as a player. If he were to move to the four and Klingon were to move to the five, I feel like that would just – that would be amazing. That would be an amazing way to start the game. And with Caravan's lack of frame, I don't see why not. You could bring Caravan at the three off the bench, and when uh, Samson comes back, you could run him in there off the, off the bench. It's perfect. There's a perfect world out there. But he he's not willing to try it. After the Providence game yesterday, Hurley was asked about how he thought Sonogo and Klingon played together. And his initial response was they didn't work on it too much in practice, which I'm surprised at that. I mean, especially with Sampson down, you really only have three, four, if you want to count Andre playing power forward at times, big men. And that's including Caravan as a big power forward position. I'm surprised they didn't work on Sonogo and Klingon together. He said the sets didn't look too, they didn't look too pretty, appealing to the eye, something like that. But I think Sonogo, especially with the three ball, hasn't been falling at the rate it was the beginning of the year. He also hasn't taken as many as the beginning of the year. But if he can knock it down, definitely slide him to the four. Though this game with versus Kaluma, who's a very athletic wing, he'll be at the four. It'll be an interesting matchup. I don't know. If I'm really comfortable with that, I, I kind of maybe see it as a Hopkins on Caravan situation just because Kaluma's so athletic. I'm not saying Sonogo's not, but he's more used to guarding the guy in the post. So maybe this isn't the game to try that, but it we'll see. I, I don't think we'll be in the situation on Saturday where Klingon and Sonogo are starting or even Klingon is starting, but it's just 
it's just cool to think about. Yeah, and Kaluma and Hopkins might be two of the most NBA-ready wings in the Big East, and we're going against them back-to-back weeks, so it's going to be interesting. Now, usually this part of the preview, we'd each choose our player to watch for UConn for this game. But as we touched upon after the Xavier game heading into Providence, we mentioned like seven of the nine guys that played. So we'll just watch for everyone. They, they're off two straight losses, two tough double-digit losses after all those double-digit wins. I mean, if I had to pick someone, maybe it's Tristan Newton. He's kind of falling. His stock's kind of falling in my eyes a little bit, at least in my opinion. I mean, maybe... I don't want to get into this right now, but do you start Hassan Diara instead? Do you mix up that part of the lineup? I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, but Tristan Newton, if I had to choose someone, he'd be my player to watch, especially, but the whole team in general, you got to look out for him. I just want to throw a name out there. Uh, I know this isn't part of it, but Joey Calcaterra, uh, where are you at? Haven't seen you. Don't know where you went. Don't know where your energy went. Don't know where your shot went. Uh, did he score against Xavier? I, I'm not sure. Um, did he, Connor? Yeah, versus Xavier, he hit one three, but last there night we go. he did not score nothing. He had three points in two games. His I remember last night he pulled the shot from I don't even know how deep, and it just clanked right off the front of the rim, and that was about it for him. He missed one in the corner too. Um, that's a guy you really look for. That's a guy you really you know lean on for energy for a big shot and when he's not there and he's not hitting those shots you know, where are you going he's one of your best shooters and you no know, he's not he's not hitting he's not hitting Hawkins ain't hitting Sanago ain't hitting nobody's hitting and you know that happens with teams but I mean there, there's there's no possible way guys of this caliber stay this cold so you know I'm gonna just put these games behind us let's call it a fluke um, let's move on and let's, let's start hitting three pointers. Now I'll add one more name to watch, not a player, Dan Hurley. You've lost two straight. The fans, some of them, at least, I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but it's ridiculous. They're turning on you. They want you out. I mean, it's a joke, but how are you going to respond to that? Obviously, I mean, the team's not bad at all they're a great team but losing two in a row now you're playing a team who you notoriously have never beat as head coach how how are you going to come out on Saturday I know Hurley said in the pressure they have a lot to work on in these next couple of days heading into that game so I'm really curious to see how that turns out and it should be fun to watch even I've said this about the Providence game I was there as we mentioned it's a great environment, the amp. It's sold out crowd. I mean, every shot, every every even missed shot, it was just loud and the energy was great. And the team needs that. They need to play in those environments because they're gonna be in them down the stretch. If I have one piece of advice for Hurley and the team, it's just to come out, play your game. Play the game that you played the first 14 games of the season, play the game you played the first 16 games of the season. Um you know, you were that that highly ranked for a reason. I feel like, you know, when some cogs start to fall off, your first instinct is to, you know, change things. You know, you immediately want to defer from what you were doing. I, I feel like if you come out, you know who you are, you know your identity as a team, and you play that way, you know, only good things can happen. If you come out, you play your game, and you win, you know, these, these, these losses will just be a thing of the past. Yeah, I think we're just about done, but I have a question for you guys real quick before we wrap up. Black uniforms, are they 
Thumbs up, thumbs down. How are we thinking about him? Um, I mean, we wore him once. We lost. It, I feel like that kind of speaks for itself. You know, it didn't have the match that the Connecticut ones did last year. Um, but I feel like it was kind of a mistake wearing black uniforms against a team that's colors are black and white. I mean, call me crazy, but I feel like that was that was kind of a mistake on whoever makes that decision. Yeah, I'm going to give them the thumbs in the middle because, for one, they look really dope in recruiting picks, but we're 0-1 in them this year. They look really cool, but uh, they're cursed game-wise. I'm going to give them a thumbs down just because how much more potential there was in making uniforms like that. I don't like the blue on them. I don't like all the colors. It's like it should just be clean, you know? That alternate jersey you wear should be minimalist. There should be a minimalism to it where you're just kind of like – Nice. I don't see that. I don't like the black and blue. I don't. If they were to be black and white or just black and red, now we're talking something different. If we had just plain black and white jerseys, I don't know what I would do. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I understand we're blue, we're UConn, but not, not on those jerseys. I don't, I don't like it. The women have the nice black and white ones. I would love that if we got the same ones as those. Those, would, those are nice. I'm a big fan of those. But, yeah, I kind of have to agree. It's just too many colors on there. Like, just stick with the plain black and don't try to bring the blue into it, you know? Yeah, Matt, you took the words right out of my mouth there with the black and the blue. I mean, it's almost lazy. I mean, it's just like they took the white uniforms, just replaced all the white with the black and left all the blue there. And the navy blue and the black just doesn't mesh well. Obviously, it's like a lighter black. I like the color, like that shade of black. I do like it on the jersey, but with the blue there, it's just, I don't know. But like Sarky mentioned, the recruiting picks, they do go hard. And I'm glad we I, – I like having those, like, alternate jerseys. I mean, just the traditional white and blue, they're obviously iconic. But, like, we're going to break out the Connecticut's at some point. I assume seeing – we broke out these black ones after our first loss on the road. We're going to – after our first home loss, if it happens, we'll break out the Connecticut. Just superstition stuff with Hurley and the staff. But, yeah, cool to see them mix it up. Probably not the best time for it. And I think that'll just about do it here for episode 16 of How About Them Huskies. We'll just uh, recap the Providence game, preview Creighton a little bit. It'll be a fun atmosphere at Gample. First home game at Gample in a while since the Georgetown game. It'll be a great, great atmosphere, like I mentioned. And I think, yeah. So look for an episode after the Creighton game at some point. We'll recap that. Hopefully UConn 1-5 and five versus the Blue Jays all time. 0-6 oh, would not. I don't know what, what that episode would look like, but it could happen. So anyways, thanks for watching and go Huskies.